The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today are Maureen O'Connor, New York sex columnist, and Allison Davis of The Cut. Hey guys. Hey David. Welcome back. On this episode, we're going to be talking about loud sex. We learned last week that according to complaints to the city's 311 line, Brooklyn has the loudest sex of all the boroughs. And one website, I think, even tracked down the single building, which generated the most complaints. Sort of weird to me, who's complaining about hearing their neighbors fucking anyway. We're also going to be talking about sex dolls, which were the subject of an amazing recent Vanity Fair piece by George Gurley that focused especially on the line between sex dolls, which we've had for a long time, and sex robots, which are kind of terrifying. And then this week, we've got a third segment, sort of related, actually, about just what level of redesigning is legitimate when you're putting together an avatar. Um, as Allison put it in a hilarious piece on the cut, is it socially acceptable to make my my idol super hot? On to the first subject, which is loud sex. Allison, you want to tell us everything we now know about just how loud people fuck in Brooklyn? <laughs> sure. So uh, DNA Info found that Brooklyn has the most noise complaints for loud sex of all five boroughs. They received 42, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was only 133 across all five boroughs. So Brooklyn's in the lead. And they found it was one building in Bay Ridge that got six. And the Daily Mail did some intrepid reporting and found that it was one couple, a 25-year-old handyman and his girlfriend. Handyman. (laughs) Handyman. Handyman, right? Like already a porno um, (laughs) that were receiving all the complaints. And people said, you know, that they were so loud, screaming, oh, do it, do that to me. And they would turn on their music and could still hear the couple over their music and just couldn't take it anymore. Was it one other couple that was complaining, or was it like the whole building? It was it was the whole building, but it was uh, one woman gave, I guess, one the, really cranky, one really cranky neighbor. There's always one on the block, right? I know. And in the porno <laughs> version, she's also hot. <laughs> she didn't sound hot in this interview, but um, but when they interviewed the, the couple, you know, the guy was like, "I don't get it. There are worse noises you can hear. Everyone's doing the Absolutely. same, you know. So I wouldn't mind hearing a neighbor having hot sex too. But I don't know. I feel like what's what's so wrong with loud sex? I don't. This I feel strongly about this issue. As, you've actually, as I you've wrote written in, like a manifesto about it, right? I feel like the number one rant I have ever written was do not apologize for having loud sex because, first of all, there's so many sounds that are worse than loud sex, right? And last longer. If your neighbor's having a loud party, usually give them like a two-hour grace period, right? Nobody's fucking for two hours straight. Or if they are, they are in fact filming a porno and then you've got like a commercial zoning issue. It's really not a neighborly <laughs> issue, right? And I really do think that people freak out about loud sex more because it grosses them out and it makes them squeamish and that sort of thing which I understand there's something like it's sort of unfair for somebody to intrude in your life with like their sex lives and yet on the other hand it doesn't last that long just do something else but here's my question like I don't I guess there, like you said there are worse things to overhear yeah. in neighbor's apartment like I'd be far more uncomfortable hearing somebody arguing for two hours and learning the intimate ins and outs of like their troubled relationship than hearing them yeah. fuck for 15 minutes at least I know they're happy that way well although, maybe although they're arguing you're like you're feeling superior to them and if they're fucking you're probably feeling worse about yourself that's That's a good point (laughs) also a good point completely true but it's like if I happen to think that noisiness during sex like this is one 
a useful variety of sex in people's lives. Maybe you don't always want to be noisy, but like as Allison pointed out, there's studies that suggest that sometimes women being noisy will actually faking an orgasm will somehow get them to an orgasm or the noisiness is part of the theatricality of it or whatever type of sex people are having. If we're going to say that you can't live in an apartment building and have this entire genre of sex for the rest of your life, that just seems so overbearing and terrible to me. Like, if adults cannot have loud sex in their apartments that they pay for by themselves with their handyman jobs, <laughs> then there's literally no place in America where loud sex can occur. And that just seems really horrible to me. So when you wrote that manifesto, was that because, like, somebody had told you to tone it down and you felt like... <laughs> um, yeah, the weird. I mean, of course, everybody reads them. They're like, "Well, at least we know what kind of sex Maureen has." But <laughs> no, actually, it came up because I read two back-to-back advice columns and other advice columnists where people were saying, "Like, my neighbor's been having loud sex. What should I do with it?" Actually, and it was, I believe, the one that was. It was like every advice columnist I'd ever read had always been like, "Find a polite way to tell them to tone it down." And I think the one that I crossed the line was um, actually Slate's Dear Prudence, who, which I love. I'm a great fan of it. But her advice was that this person was like so I slipped She her advice was to slip an anonymous note under the person's door that was like I don't want to say who I am I'm one of your neighbors can hear you fucking and you need to tone it down because I've got kids if somebody if you are creeping around your neighbor's apartment <laughs> slipping notes under her door this like single woman about her fucking life the creep in that situation is not the woman having sex with the door shut in her apartment I kind of want to talk more about like what might be so annoying for people right because if you live in an apartment in New York there are all right. sorts of like you just like so many things you have to deal with. I hear people walking. I hear my yeah. landlady yelling at her kids all the time. Like you just learn to deal with it. What is it about sex that's just like so intolerable? Is it? Is it? Well, I think is you're it too dirty. There's an too idea personal? that well, you're supposed to do it in private, right? You right. hear someone walking, you're like, well, people walk. I hear people walking all the time. I think it's that there's the feeling that it's a supposed to be private. B, it's supposed to be secret. C, it is absorbing in a way that other noises aren't necessarily, right? <laughs> I will definitely stop and listen like, if I hear. You can't not be, your entire mind is taking, when sex is in a in the vicinity or brought up, it takes over the entire mental scape of the, you know? When you're hearing sex, you think about sex, and you don't want to think about John from 3A fucking, you know? And all of a sudden you have this mental image. But what if you do? I know, what if you do? So the example I brought up in that rant was that I used to have this ex-boyfriend who lived in a really old building in Brooklyn, actually. Maybe this is the Brooklyn noise complaint, something about the construction of it. It's funny to think that, like, New York is, this is just, like, a problem for New York, because no other city has so many shitty apartment buildings. (laughs) Yeah. Such thin walls so close to one another. (laughs) And you're, like, living, like, eight. There are eight apartments on one tiny floor. Well, it's funny because I I remember reading that in Brooklyn. I was like, I guess Brooklyn sounds like exactly where you would reach the problem, right? Because in Manhattan, you probably hear each other more because the buildings are, you know, there's just more of you. The walls are thinner, yada, yada. But it's also a noisier borough, period. Right. Whereas, like, Brooklyn, I think, is probably the exact right ratio of, like, closeness. I forgot what I was talking about before that. Oh, no. So I had this boyfriend in Brooklyn who lived in one of those old buildings where, like, the, 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 like, radiator pipes connected everyone. And we could hear absolutely, like, the entire line. I could hear, like, people, like, three stories up. I could hear, like, their blender making breakfast every morning, right? And I remember that we would hear people having sex all the time. And sometimes you hear multiple people having sex because everyone has sex, like, at, you know, similar times at night. I remember there was a day that, like, we, like, walked out and, like, his neighbor's like, you heard that girl having sex last night? And we're like, yep. (laughs) And it's this weirdness that on one hand, it's like, it is kind of gross and, like, unpleasant. And sometimes you don't want to think about that while you're, like tensely not having sex with your boyfriend at the time or something but i was like you know as long as like you don't bring it up directly with the person who's doing it you can sort of make a joke to cut the tension sometimes but at some level you just have to live with it i think okay i did want to know like when you're having sex with someone 
when is it when, <laughs> is there a too loud oh totally and when does that happen? Is it so loud that you know your neighbors can hear you? Or is oh, it, like, um, it like you need earplugs? Or well, is there I'm things? not saying whether or not I'm a loud person. <laughs> but, well, no, I'd say more it's like when you are with someone. And I've heard other people mention this, too, that, like, that person's too noisy for me. Or, like, man, that person is quiet as a mouse. It makes me really uncomfortable. Um, Which is worse, would you say? I think, well, I guess it depends what you stand with, right? <laughs> Obviously, if somebody's like, I require complete silence and mind focus, <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to do too well with a screamer. Um, I think it's about the dynamic between the two people, right? I also do think there is a stigma that people assume, like, if you're being that loud, you've got to be faking. Yeah. Well, at some level, that's true. Like, there is a loudness level that is not right. I mean... That feels wrong. Yeah. That sounds like murder. <laughs> Some people just have, like, a hard time controlling their indoor voices. I don't know why that's, you know, that's when they're faking. They're just naturally loud people. I'm loud at everything. Yeah, it's like, you can hear me over everyone else in any other facet of my life. Why not the bedroom? Um, tell us your anecdote about this, though, Allison. Oh, right. So um, a friend of mine, I'm not going to say it's me, no. A friend of mine, <laughs> um, during high school when she would have sex with her boyfriend in his mom's house, you know, they were not really conscious of the fact that they were in their mom's house. They'd have sex, she'd be really loud. Well, when you're a teenager, you're just like, you don't know what's happening. Right. Things and definitely when you're, when you're a teenager, you're probably not having like orgasms worthy of how loudly she claimed True. to be screaming, but she was doing it anyway. And one day, the her boyfriend's mother pulled her aside and, to talk to her about their, oh the noise God. level because it was inappropriate in the house. He had a little sister who was in middle school and it was, it was too much. Um, and she said, you know, I also know that when you're having sex that loudly, it generally means you're faking it. And she's like, what? And she's like, you know, he can probably tell, too. And I can't imagine a more awkward, like, you're 16, being told you're having sex too loud and oh my God. that you're probably faking it. Well, it's so inappropriate. Wait, no. I mean, there's, like, eight more levels of that. Like, what? Yeah. Your son is bad in bed? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is the correct response to that? <laughs> I don't even know. I guess it's have sex in a car is the moral of the story if you're... After I wrote that article about the loud sex, then I started hearing from all the screamers in my life <laughs> or stranger screamers who are writing letters. One woman I know was like, you know, I got a note from my neighbors like that that was like, I can hear you. She's like, and just so you know, we do have a teenage daughter in the house and I don't want her to be getting a bad example from you. And the note was also something like, I know you're a single woman or like very like weird and shaming. Yeah. There's something crazy about that that I was like, damn. Um, I told her, I was like, why don't you print out my article and slip it back and just be like... <laughs> so moving on to our second topic, which is sex dolls. Uh, modern technology has now progressed to the point where factory-built partners are at least as good as human partners, says David Mills, who's the guy behind a company called Real Dolls, which George Gurley calls the Rolls-Royce of sex dolls in the new Vanity Fair story. Maureen, um, you were especially interested in this story. Did you even know that there were enough sex dolls around, sex doll manufacturers around, that there could be a Rolls Royce? In fact, I did. You did? Um, <laughs> but the reason I know this is the funny thing, and this was an amazing article. That one thing George Gurley did so well was that he traced the sort of fascination with building these sort of custom-made synthetic women throughout history, dating back to like Pygmalion, this sort of ongoing fantasy of being as lifelike as possible without actually being alive, which is such a strange thing. And in fact, the funniest thing about these dolls is that they actually have like better PR than like so many B-list actresses in America. Like there's 
So there's, I mean, there's this article. There are multiple photographers who have done, you know, ginormous photo projects about these. There's multiple documentaries. There's a feature film, Mars and the Real Girl, which was the first one that I think cast a real doll as Ryan Gosling's, like, great love, love for interest. the mannequin. Yeah. Yes. It's to the point that some of the biggest aficionados of real dolls actually have these giant online followings. They are like celebrities themselves. There's this guy, Dave Cat, who's this, like, goth guy who believes he has Asperger's and is deeply in love with a doll. And he's been in, like, so many documentaries now. HBO's Real Sex did a segment on it that he is famous, all on his own, too. There are dolls that are... The doll that was cast opposite of Ryan Gosling, it has her own little fan page <laughs> and followers, too. So it, it's so interesting to me because because on the one hand, it's fascinating that people are so obsessed perpetually throughout history with creating these sort of fembots or these almost women, not women. And also interesting that I'm like, are these just major bait for art directors and photographers or, you know, this like incredible fascination with the idea of men who would like to have sex or even some sort of fantasized pseudo relationship or a relationship unlike those we recognize as relationships with dolls. Well, that's a big question for me is like, are these people interested in having sex with women and like a doll is a good substitute or are they actually interested in having sex with robots because they're weird like sci-fi geeks and they're into that? I don't know. Well, I'm thinking of Lars and the Real Girl Mm -hmm. and like how it was an emotional crutch, right? He just had difficulty with intimacy. And so he learned through the fake girl how to love a real woman. And is that maybe what's happening here? I just like need to believe that that's true, to be honest. And then at I the think. end when he gets over it, he has to drown the fake girl, which is so dark. Isn't that how that one oh, ends? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. He did have to kill her in order to date a real woman. So maybe I don't hope that's the... But just to be clear, there's not really love involved in most of these relationships. We're talking about <laughs> sex. sex. right? You know what? True. Some of them do... I think most of them... The people that get the most play, and I think a lot of these documentaries and such, not necessarily in the Vanity Fair article, but when they follow the personalities, are actually the men that have emotional attachments to their dolls um, in a way that bridges somewhere between a security blanket and a really sort of disconnected romantic relationship, I suppose. Or like a pet relationship, maybe. Yeah, maybe a pet would be a good metaphor for that. How? I'm so (laughs) sorry. How is a, a sex doll like a pet? Well, you lug it around and I don't know. You fantasize that it has feelings for you and it doesn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maureen, you, you, like, you circled this great quote from the article from the like, evangelist of the dolls who said, women have enjoyed sex toys for 50 years, probably 5,000 years, but men are still stigmatized. We have to correct that. I want to be the Rosa Parks of sex dolls. Men are not going to sit in the back of the bus anymore. Pretty amazing. I mean, the le- quote. you hear this all the time from men that they're like, women have all these toys and we've got nothing. We are deprived. And you're like, well, other than the millennia in which women were like human chattel and thus sex toys to you. <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> I know. You're not comfortable with the fact that you were just like raping and pillaging for millennia. It's a good point, though. Men shouldn't be stigmatized for wanting to use, uh, what is it, a fleshlight or... I mean, sort of, right? The whole point of this, you want to have your own autonomous pleasure tool too. But I think the whole point is that they already have enough autonomous pleasure. They have so much autonomous pleasure that they're allowed to create a completely non-autonomous pretend woman to have sex with, and it can be a giant industry. I don't see men as being in any way sexually subjugated and in the back of the sexual bus. Oh, I agree with that. I I think they've had the sexual upper hand for. And continue yeah. to, but I think if we're being open-minded and sex-positive, and you know, no, yeah. people want to experience pleasure in different ways yes. and with 
people and with not with people and with machines. And like women have those options, too. So maybe men should also be allowed to. It is, I think, a little trickier when you have glassy eyed, inanimate women who can't. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd rather if as your main sex toy. But well, if one would want a pliant, non-responsive female like object to have sex with, I much rather have them be doing that with a mannequin than with a real woman. I mean, if that's the way you want to be having your sex life. I know I do think it's true that like sex causes huge amounts of anxiety for so many people and huge amounts of misery for so many people. And if spending $7,000 on a real doll is like the thing that alleviates their misery, that makes sense. You know, like, okay, fine. That doesn't hurt anyone directly, at least. Um, Does $7,000 strike you as a lot or a little? <laughs> This strikes me as quite a bit of money, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> but they're so realistic. I mean, like it's, it's worth it for the amount of artistry, I would well, think. Well, and Howard Stern, when he had sex with one, said that was better than sex with any real woman when he finally... <sighs> and he has had sex with real women, so, you know, That's so he says. sometimes. I mean, the thing is that I think there is this desire as, I don't know, perhaps I played into already today, but... I think there's this desire to pretend like this is some sort of assault on feminism. And I think it's not quite accurate to try to read a giant, there obviously are huge gender dynamics at play. And yet I don't think it's accurate to say that guy has sex with a doll that looks like a lifelike woman. He probably hates women or he wants a really pliant woman. And maybe some do, but I don't think that's... You think it's more likely that he's just terrified of women? I don't... Well, I just don't think that you can really extrapolate somebody's feelings about relationships based on this one very, very sort of unusual idiosyncratic thing. And I think when... Um, in George Gurley's article, he points out that there are some people that don't have sex with their dolls and just like to cuddle with them. Um, there are some people that just have dolls. There are some people who are, you know, like Dave Cat in the other documentaries who says, well, I think I'm, you know, really on the autism spectrum. I don't know how to be around people, but I kind of want to have sex. So I think that there's probably a huge variety of what what would motivate somebody to sort of put down $7,000 to get this extremely lifelike experience. Allison, do you agree with that? Like you wouldn't judge someone who is having a relationship with a sex doll? I was just thinking in my mind, as you were talking, Maureen, like you can't judge these people. Stop judging these people. Maybe cut that. I don't want to come off as judgy, but it's hard not to because I just don't understand. Like you wouldn't want to get involved with somebody. Well, I no, a... I wouldn't. If I if I I wouldn't want to get involved with somebody who. Oh, I think there are judgments to be made. I just don't think it's universally the same judgment for every right, person. Right. right. Years ago, I think when I first heard about this, there are a couple message boards for people that are real doll enthusiasts and other like mannequin and like just various types of just extraordinary sexual or romantic or just aficionados of different types of lifelike men and women companionshipy things. And I joined actually a message board and oh. communicated with a bunch of them because um, various different factions of this organization have meetups and things. This was many years ago before I worked at New York Magazine. And it was interesting because within this group, there were also people that just like mannequins, that they were like, I acquired a mannequin from this like department store that was closing down in my town. And I just really feel strongly about it. And I dress it up all the time. And I just love being around it. I like to take her picture and like, she sleeps next to me in bed. And there's some kind of, you know, something that makes people really like that. Well, you were also talking before about there are, like, real women they're based on, right? So you can... Yeah, some of them are. Yeah. How weird would that be to be, like, the model for... Well, porn stars do that periodically. Yeah. You know, that they'll sell their, like, the model vagina. of their vagina yeah. or whatever. The fleshlights. And... Mm-hmm. I guess it's maybe kind of an honor or, like, a little bit flattering if someone's like, I really want a doll made out of you. Well, uh, the strange thing when that. I was... Thinking about this was that um, I was trying to think of examples because there are so many examples throughout, you know, 
you think of like Pygmalion or you think of like the Fembots or all these sort of movies and fiction dedicated to people who built the perfect woman to marry her or to have sex with her throughout like literature. And I was trying to think of when something comparable has happened with somebody building a man. And all I could think of was say like a Frankenstein monster or like a Manchurian candidate. And I was like, I guess you don't see them being built for sexual purposes the same way when it's um men. I think there was a there was a moment in American Horror Story Coven when Emma Roberts goes to the morgue and she puts together like the zombie boyfriend, like right. the ultimate zombie boyfriend. Let's make them from from all the best parts of the Yeah. Of the yeah. And but that was really kind of about lust, right? Cuz they're like, right. oh, these calf muscles, this guy's torso. It was like yeah. very looking at them in a disembodied way. But for... then I think they just put together the one guy. Like, I think they just put together the girl, the guy that the one girl had a crush on. I don't think they actually built their... Oh, no, it was a bunch of different parts because I oh. remember he had someone else's tattoo and that really freaked him out. <laughs> he was like, that's ah. not my arm. That's like my frat brother's arm. What's going on? You just, you always see the sort of like sexual fantasy person gets created by science, like in like weird science or even in Battlestar Galactica, it starts with the outrageously hot woman is the first one you realize is a clone and a replicant <laughs> and she's like incredibly dangerous. And it's always a sort of like sex bot woman. Right. We have, um, and this weekend, Ex Machina is opening. Yep. Right? Yeah. That's the same kind of idea. She's the AI woman. Yeah, and I guess it's, if you think that, if I'm trying to extrapolate some kind of, like, lesson about what we, I don't know, how we view women or how we view sex, it's funny that the sort of, the fear of, like, it's, like, the uncontrollable perfection, and, like, if the woman was so perfectly sexy, she would be as dangerous as possible. But also icy. I mean, that there's some, like, all those... All those versions, like the iciness of the woman, like the inhumanness is part of what makes them attractive. No emotions, basically. And it's interesting you mentioned replicants. So I was thinking of Blade Runner, which I guess there's some, like, dispute over whether Harrison Ford's character is actually a replicant or not. But if he is, he's, like, way – he's not icy at all. He's, like, a rough, like – and, like, he's, like, a pretty – he's, like, a sex symbol, Harrison Ford, especially in that movie. So I guess there, that is like a... I guess so. I remember watching Battlestar in the moment that I realized that all the clones weren't going to be outrageously hot. That I was like, what? <laughs> Come on. Like, she's perfect. Why did anyone clone that guy? Do you think of RoboCop as hot? God, I hadn't really thought through that. No. That's sort I of, guess I think so. Well, he's like right? muscle-bound at least. But, you know, his hotness isn't for the purpose of sex. His hotness is for like battling Protection. people. And that's why he's strong and powerful. Same yeah. with Terminator, right? It's not so we can like... To save... But you can imagine both of those characters being like um, characters in a what's the, what do you call it? like when they have fan fiction that's sex based? What's sex? Oh, fan, fan fiction, fiction. I think yeah. so. <laughs> just, just fan fiction. Right? Yeah, that's your fanfic. The right. RoboCop meets Battlestar. Actually, like a Terminator fanfic would be pretty pretty <laughs> enticing. So RoboCop and fanfic. I haven't seen like the. I don't think I think I've only seen the first Terminator. Are there? Does he never like get together with uh, with Sarah Connor? Yeah. No, never. Mm-mm. Nope. That's because it's not sexual, you know. Where, oh. But but in all these we, all the movies we cited about fembots and female robots, did they get together with their? Oh yeah, Weird Science was like she was built for, for that until, purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, huh? So talking about how to build a perfect sex object, Allison, you wrote a great piece this week about whether it's right or how right it is to edit your own image when you're building yourself online. The, the um, the avatar thing that you were talking about was actually called My Idol, which I had not heard of before I read your piece. So maybe the first thing is... Oh, you called it up. Yeah. <laughs> Maureen's showing it to us on that's her phone. Even, that's not even the best I wish, one. I know. I mean... <laughs> 
Do you want to first explain what my idol is and yeah, so, what it allows you to do? So this week, kind of out of nowhere, this this app, My Idol, exploded. It's the Chinese version of an already popular avatar app called Bitmoji, which is you know, just little like avatars you send around with stupid messages. But the Chinese version, My Idol, is 3D, fully interactive, little mini versions of yourself that you can post on Instagram or Twitter. Or Maureen is looking at mine and, and laughing so hard. <laughs> distracting, Maureen. So sorry. Um, if any reader hasn't seen it, you just simultaneously, oh my God, I can't even see yourself the 360 experience. But you can mess- send them in iMessages, you can post them on all social media. So people have spent this week posting versions of themselves. The thing about the My Idol is they all kind of look like Bratz dolls. I so think. what it does is that you literally you put the phone in front of your face it scans your face it put, pastes your face into this three-dimensional like dancing person um i can't <laughs> for for like whatever you want to use it for text messages social media i think that it's been all over instagram i can't look at someone's feed without seeing a my idol but i think they're really creepy looking but the whole point is you're making yourself in your own image so you can adjust it to be you but then it's like do you make yourself a little bit hotter you know like do you make your boobs a little bit bigger and your hair a little bit longer well, why not or... go a lot hotter a lot bigger <laughs> because well, you don't want people, yeah, people to call you out and you <laughs> really don't want your avatar to be like hotter than you so much prettier than you it, I, I know that, that everyone's like I've seen the hotter version of you and it was your avatar <laughs> Um, bit, bit, bit but isn't emoji. that just like life on social media is like your hottest versions of yourself is the thing that's out there it's true but get you, your selfies right I feel get yourself but you want it to be like uh, just like a few degrees away from what you look like in real life right well you want because to when be you're... like that's just like Allison her bot is like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly her bot is just like that my idols I think the biggest compliment when it comes to the avatars is oh you don't do yourself justice because then you're like oh yeah no I'm prettier in real life than what? I am <laughs> who's who's prettier in my idol or bitmoji than they are in real my life. My bitmoji is so much better looking than I am in real life. <laughs> I just spent 20 minutes cracking up and we could not record our podcast because I find your my idol so ridiculous. There looking. is like a weird, speaking of real dolls, like a weird non-human quality to them, even though they're moving like humans. Well, it's, it's very uncanny and weird. And yeah, I think it's the part, of, valley. part of the fun is also that you're like, it's me, look at me doing these crazy things. And it's like you're watching yourself doing something weird. But um, the, the weirdness, I think, that you sort of got to asking whether it's socially acceptable to make it hotter or like to pump up its boob size or whatever you're doing is that once you sort of see that, the sort of weirdness and part of the fun is that there is this weird, like, halo effect to the way I see Allison once I've seen a pretend Allison, like, doing the sexy back dance with, like, red hair to her waist. You know? It's sort of like... When I first got it, I was trying to figure it out, and all of the buttons and everything are in Chinese, which That's makes right. me wonder if, like, all these, like, Americans that are like, woohoo, look what we're doing, like, if we're all racking up millions of dollars of in-app purchases or something, and we That's just true. don't we know it. We have no idea what's going on. I don't know. They haven't released the English version yet. Um, Your My Idol is already, like, a pop star in China, actually. It might be, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's, she's actually, really like, selling out stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> but... Is that like, you know, so when I was first figuring it out, I was like doing it. I couldn't figure it out. And so this friend of mine was like, here's how you do it. And he was sending it to me. And he's like, here's how you change. And I was like, I, I, I like put it in, but I can't figure out how to do my hair and stuff. And he's like, oh, you have it. It's a man right now. So he takes his face in his My Idol. And he's like, here's how you switch the gender. And he swaps his gender. And all of a sudden I'm looking at this guy with his like five o'clock shadow with like a woman body and a ponytail. Awesome. And I was like, actually, that I was like, I... I I can't look at you the same way now that I've seen you this way. It was really odd. 
yeah, and then and then once I finally had mine going, all of a sudden I totally did notice it. Like, you know, I would send like a cutesy one to like somebody that I like have no, you know, you communicate with people the way you communicate normally, but through it. So like, if there's somebody I'm flirting with, then I send them like my idol doing something sexy, and then all of a sudden I was like, am I sexting with my avatar? Yeah, you are, and I totally was. I sent a flirty one just now, and it felt a little weird to be <laughs> honest because it's like I sent a little virtual sex doll across. The transom, yeah, straight from like the hell mouth of the uncanny valley out there <laughs> into the world. And how was it received on you know, the other side of the valley? His response was, "I really hate those things. They, <laughs> they, they scare me." So I think the moral is like you can try and make your myodel as hot as you want to, like the hottest version of yourself, but they all look terrifying. Like, there's do, just no. Do you have any of these like hangups about like? sending a selfie like would you ever see a selfie that made you look too good and you were like I'm, I can't send this it's like too it's too flattering you know no actually there's, <laughs> there's no such thing as a selfie that, like too flattering selfie. so these rules only apply when you're doing with like a virtual yeah I think doll. there's a there's like a like a weird kind of when you're building your avatar when you're in control with a selfie like if you look that good it's an accident that's like a complete accident if you look better, that much better than <laughs> but it also really happened but it also really about your self esteem Allison <laughs> uh, but when you're building this avatar and you have complete control and you make it look like like your like Heidi Klum self I don't know it feels like a little conceited like, well I think the strange window and I actually kind of disagree I do think there's such a thing as a too hot selfie what because the key is that I think when you see someone else's hot selfie it's fascinating because it's like watching somebody put on their makeup in the mirror and you just like you can see what they like about themselves what they don't like about themselves you know that oh that's the face that you think makes you look hot and there's something sort of embarrassing about seeing the thing somebody else finds uber hot about themselves you know it's like watching somebody like endlessly primp in a mirror that it gets a little like almost intimate seeing like Oh, that girl like really wishes her eyes were big. She's always like got her eyes popped wide open every time she takes a selfie or whatever. There's something sort of like overly revealing, I think, about a too hot selfie. Is there something revealing about a too hot avatar? I mean, that is just <laughs> way too revealing. It's too much seeing just like what, what your like fantasy version of yourself yeah, is. Yeah, and then it's you're so... sending it out there on social media. I think it's kind of like yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. So no, what, yeah. What kind of what did you settle on? What is your how would you describe the avatar that you felt comfortable? So I have I've been alternating which, Maureen, between. I cannot stop laughing about. I'm alternating between two, which is like a Shrekified version of myself, <laughs> and like uh, someone said, "Wow, you look really cute as Shrek." <laughs> I like, thought that so too. somehow I stumbled upon the hottest version of myself, which is as <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> so actually, I was really afraid that I was like, "What if Allison thinks she looks hot as Shrek? I better not tell her that that looks like Shrek." Because <laughs> maybe she's doing hot as Shrek. So there we go. Well, I think we know who your ultimate mate is going to be. Somewhere out there is a man with a Shrek my <laughs> idol, and he's there for you, he's Allison. For me, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking about my idol and how to manage a, an avatar that's as flattering as can be without being too flattering. And that's it for Sex Lives. Thanks so much for listening and subscribe when you can. Our producer is Tim Einenkel. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. For Allison Davis and Maureen O'Connor, I'm David Wallace-Wells, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.